Bhavadi OP. He's an ordinary professor of sacred scripture. But in my estimation, he is most extraordinary. Uh, I'm looking here at his degrees from University of Baghdad in Iraq, University of Freiburg in Switzerland, the Pontifical Biblical Institute in Rome. And he is, his main field of teaching and writing is the Jewish interpretation of the Bible. From eight, 1983 to 87, he was a research assistant at the Swiss National Fund for Scientific Research. From 1989 to 1994, he taught Old Testament as the assistant professor Adrian Schenker, OP, in the biblical department of the Faculty of Theology at Freiburg. And from 1987 to 1994, he taught several related courses in the Dominican-directed St. Thomas Center in Geneva. From 1994 until 2003, he was engaged by the University of Freiburg <clears throat> as an external collaborator researching the sources of Cairo Geniza. He was in charge of the Hebrew manuscripts collection at the library of the late Dominican exegete father J.D. Bartolemi, who passed in 2004, and expert at the public and university library of Geneva in 2003 and 2004 for biblical Hebrew manuscripts of the Cairo Geniza collection. He directs the series Bible in History, published by Peter Lang. Father joined the Sisters of St. Cecilia a year ago after having taught sacred scripture and Hebrew at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C. So it is indeed my privilege and honor to bring to the podium Father Joseph Alabidi Ope. to God that you forgot all what was said about me. Yeah, yeah. If by any chance one of you is in a conference that I give, please don't give my biography. When you get old, you have a lot of things, you know, and why you are mentioning that, you know. Okay, okay. Well, you know what? So the sister told me, uh, you have 30 minutes. When she spoke about that, when she said 30 minutes, I remember that I had a course about the emotions in the Psalms. It took me one semester. <laughs> so now we are, we, we are, I'm going to say two things about the Psalms. The first, I will comment Psalm 1. And I will speak about some passages that we 
even sing from time to time without paying attention to their meanings. For example, Psalm 136 that we sing almost every Sunday, you know. So I will speak about the first, and the first is a psalm, the first psalm is a, is a psalm concern the human beings. And the last psalm concern only God. And all the psalms, it's a travel from the first psalm, which is a definition of the good man. And the last psalm with uh, the praise due to God alone. As if the good man being good man is the start of a, a travel, of a, uh, of a journey that goes from a man centered on himself to the end, and the end is a man centered on the praise of God. It is as if the Psalms uh, reflect of the beginning of a mature life to the uh, uh, completion of this mature life, and the completion is the praise of God. This is an aspect that we forget a lot when we speak about paradise, for example. Paradise for us in many cases is the recompense after what we did in life. But the recompense per excellence in paradise is to join the choir of those who praise God. The praising of God is the highest recompense for the righteous man and woman. It is to join those who the uh, book of Isaiah called the cherubim or cherubim or the cherubs or the angels or the archangels who say to God, holy, holy, holy. That is what God is. And that is the only, you know, high praise we can say to God is to say who he is. He is the holy per excellence. So the Psalms are almost an anticipation to this glorious end that will, that will be the end of the, of the righteous. So let us go to Psalm 1 and see the definition of the righteous. After that, I will speak about the violence and I will take the example of Psalm 136 and 137. So the, uh, uh, the book of Psalms start by happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take path or walk in the, in the path of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scoffers. Happy is the man. Happy is, the, is a word in Hebrew which is, it is a word that has no singular. You have irregularities in every language. In English, you have words that have no singular. There is no singular for the word in use. And you have words that have no plural, you know. You may, you may kill one uh, deer, but you may kill also two deer, not two deers, you know. So uh, you, have, uh, you have words like that. The word happy, the word happy, happy is the man who does not walk in the uh, path of the wicked, okay? 
And Huda, you have three verbs that define the man. He does not walk, he does not stand, he does not sit. He does not walk in the uh, way of the wicked. He does not stand uh, uh, with the sinner, and he does not sit with the scoffers. That is the righteous, the definition of the righteous. And the righteous is, 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 is defined by negative acts, by not, not uh, uh, walking, not standing, not sitting with the sinners, with the sinners. That is the righteous. The definition by negation is much more powerful than the definition by, uh, by, by positive, by being positive. When you are saying yes to someone, you join that person. But when you are saying no, you affirm who you are. You know, all of us uh, have this experience of children when at the age of one, they start to say no to mama, you know? So that's the beginning of their personality. So happy, happy, happy is a plural. And the, the, the rabbis, that is the school that I follow in my exegesis, belong to the rabbinical interpretation of the Bible. The, the rabbis took from that a, a definition. A happy, you cannot be happy alone. Happy alone is another word for selfishness. Happy is by making someone else happy. That is the definition of happiness. If you want to be happy, tell me who is the one who is happy because of you. If there is such one, you are happy according to the Bible. If there is not, you are happy alone. And that is, once again, the definition of the selfishness. He does not walk. He does not walk. If you walk with someone, you find him nice, sympathetic. You, you walk with him. You spend time. It is not a time of working. It is not a time of deliberations, of big decision. If you are walking, it's basically because the interest, the friendly interest of the person with whom you are walking. You know, so uh, uh, you are walking here. He does not walk with the wicked. Uh, he does not stand. He does not stand. When you stand, when you are walking and you stop, just imagine the scene. You know, the Bible is a very concrete book. It's a narration about situation in life. When you are walking and someone said something, uh, you, you are walking with someone and he said something that is really important. Unconsciously, you stand. You, you, you stop walking. You, you, by stand, I mean, you stop walking. You stop walking. What, do you, what did you say? What did you say? If you, if, you were, if you worked in Brooklyn, New York, which I did, you know, for, for five years, and uh, that did not come in the biography. She said everything, you know, but she didn't say that I worked in New York, in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> you know? Okay. So when you see the when you see I work in the Hasidic in the Hasidic uh, you know uh, part of, of of Brooklyn you see the man and the woman the man and the woman the Hasidim the 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 the, 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 the Orthodox Jews walking they never walk together it's one one uh, one in the front and the other is behind you know and that could be the woman in the front that could be the man behind that could be the man but never together that i don't i never discovered why but uh, 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 um, and and someone says something important 
they stop. They stop. What did you say? What did you mean? What did you? Mean? So when when you are walking and when you stop, it's because the other said something that is attractive to you, that really uh, you are interested in. And after that, there is the sitting. The sitting in the Bible is a moment of deliberation. You are sitting. You are not walking with the wicked. You are not standing or stopping to hear the sinner, and you are not sitting with the scoffers. Scoffers, those, those who mock. Those who mock in the Bible is the highest degree of wickedness. Because by mocking you, they destroy your hope. You know, if you have a situation, that is the, the, that is the case here, it's the situation of someone who is having difficulty, for example, and, 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 and hoping something. Mocking is destroying the, 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 the hope of someone who is looking for a hope. That is, that is why in the Bible it takes a dimension, it takes a dimension that is uh, much more than anecdotal dimension, you know, someone who is uh, saying uh, jokes. No, it is about someone who is destroying, by his jokes, destroying your hope. You know, as, as if he's telling you, you will never, uh, you know, you will never rise from your, your difficulty and give it up, you know, because you will, you will stay always there. It's, 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 it is uh, considered a very, very high, you know, and a big sin, you know. So the righteous is the one who does not do this, who does not do this, who does not do that. That is, what does he do? What does he do, the righteous? He, uh, 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 the delight of the law of the Lord, uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his delight he meditate day and night. The word meditate is not good for the translation. The translation, it's he murmurs the law of the Lord day and night. He murmurs the law of the law. It's, it's as if I don't, I always, you know, uh, I always uh, uh, remember the uh, prayer of the uh, uh, Russian pilgrim, you know, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, have pity on me, a sinner. You know, and the Lord, uh, this is a prayer, if you say it in Russian, it's very, 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 very short. You know, and 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 people and people say it. People say it. The Orthodox monks, for example, they say it. They say it even to the point of unconsciously. You know, they they from time to time they they you surprise yourself saying it. That is the righteous. The righteous is integrate the law of God in his in his being. That he is from time to time. Saying some verses, you know, some something from the law, and saying it in almost unconscious way, like your breathing. My breathing is unconscious. We don't think about it, you know. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, have pity on me, a sinner, all the time, all the time, you know, or shorter, or shorter, any other prayer. Lord, have mercy, for example. Or so the 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 uh, uh, the righteous is someone who integrated the law of the Lord into his being in a way that became almost uh, natural 
connatural with, with his being alive, with his being alive. That is the righteous. And, and after that, there is a comparison. He is like a tree. He is like a tree planted by stream of water. Whenever you speak about water, whenever you speak about trees in the Bible, there is something, you know, that you have to pay attention to. The Bible was written in a desert place, and the water dimension, you know, is different from here. You know, you have in Isaiah, come, come, and drink water without paying, you know. And from time to time, this image of the water, the water very precious, Probably, if you are living in, in this marvelous place in the United States, and uh, you don't feel this, this you know, importance of the water. But the water here is uh, the reason for the tree to be stable. So the wicked, the, the righteous, rather, is like a tree next to a stream of water, which means solid, which means its roots is there, which means it is really founded. It is founded in the in the um, uh, in the area. It, it, its roots are expanded, and it is uh, uh, it is stable. It is stable. This is a very important image. Why? Because opposed to that, that there will be the wicked, and the wicked is uh, compared to a shaft. A shaft, uh, something like uh, a pie, something like uh, uh, that, that, uh, that has no consistency. You know, the, the, uh, um, the wicked are not so. They are like shaft that the wind drives away. And so you have these two comparisons. You have the one who is solid. And that is the righteous. And the definition of the righteous, you know, is the one who does not do this, does not do that. And as recompense, God is putting him next to stream of water and he is established. He is solid. That doesn't mean that he will not have it be having the problems, you know, and, and, uh, but the problems will not shake him, will not destroy his consistency, and he will be stable, he will be solid even in difficulties. While you have the wicked, and the wicked is marked by a, a lack of stability, marked by changing always his mind, by, marked by, you know, being drifted by all kind, in all kind of directions by all kind of winds. So you have, this is, this is the definition of the righteous, and this is the definition of the wicked. And after that, it is being said that the wicked will prosper. Why? Because God knows his way. Because he is in, he is living in, in sort of a connivence, in sort of uh, um, in, in sort of uh, symbiose, uh, uh, in, in sort of harmony with God, and God knows His way, knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to doom, leads to nothingness. Why? Because God does not know it. And the things that, that, that God does not know is nothingness, is without consistency. So the wicked will go to 
nothingness will disappear while the image of the righteous is a, a prosperous image. And this is the righteous, this is the definition of the man according to the Bible. Now, after that, we will go, we will go and see what is the law, for example, that he is murmuring day and night. What is the behavior of the righteous? What is the behavior of the wicked? And you have all kind of, uh, uh, all kind of, uh, uh, principles, moral principles, you know. This is something that is extremely important, you know, and that is uh, religion is a, a behavior. Religion is a behavior, and that is, in, it sounds theoretical, but that is incredibly practical. Why? Because there are today, there are today tendencies you know, a hidden tendency to make Christianity a cultural religion. You know, we belong to Christianity. It's it's like you have a passport. You say you are American. You have some kind of a, a paper saying you are. No, Christianity is a behavior. It is not only principles that we addict to, that we what we pronounce, that we say. You know, every Sunday. No, it's a behavior. It's a behavior. And you have here the difference between Judaism, which is the application of articles, that's the law, and Christianity, which is imitation of someone who is Jesus Christ. You know, But the Christianity is a behavior. The righteous is the man who does not do this, does not do this, does not do that. You know, it's, it's the verb to do. It's the verb to, to, to accomplish something. And the recompense of the righteous will be, once again, to integrate the choir of those who praise God. It is all our liturgy on earth is by anticipation. It's as if we are rehearsing what we will be doing in heaven much more perfectly because God, by his spirit in us, you know, in heaven, will, will uh, accomplish his own praise, you know. And our dignity is to be members, you know, of those, the choir, who, who, uh, who praise him forever. So this is, this is an aspect of the, of, of the Psalms, the definition of the righteous man and woman. He is happy. And happiness is a concept that is a pluralistic. You cannot be happy alone. It is happy because he is happy with others. Happy cannot be something reserved to one. You tell me you are happy, I will ask you who is the one you are making happy. Otherwise, it is selfishness. Let us go to Psalm 137. 137 is a famous psalm. Why? Because Pope Paul VI intervened, intervened when they were when they were reorganizing the breviary at the end of Second Vatican. Paul VI intervened. They put this psalm. It's all the psalms. Not all of them. Not all of them. There are three psalms that are not mentioned in the breviary. You know, and they are they are psalms that we call we call them deprecation psalms. You know, there are three psalms that are not mentioned. They are typical insults. You know, you know against the enemy. 
you cannot you cannot have them and after that say glory to the Father and to the Son. You know, it will be a little bit, a little bit ridiculous. So there are three Psalms that are not in the but there is Psalm one thirty seven. And 137, Paul VI intervened and said, I don't want the last verse of this psalm be mentioned in the breviary. And because of his intervention, we mention the psalm 37, verse 1 to 8, and we don't mention verse uh, 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 9, which is, which is uh, 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 daughter of Babylon, happy is the one who takes your children and smash their head against the rock. Okay? And so Paul is excited, no, no, you do not mention this. You know. But it is in all the, all the Bibles. It is a verse like the other Psalms, you know, and I will not tell you which Psalms they are. You know, <laughs> like the other psalms that are deprecation psalms, you know. So you have this, and why? Because it's violent, and I will speak about violence in the Bible. Violence in the Bible is something that is a present to the point of making us uncomfortable. There are passages in the Bible, Exodus 33, for example. There are passages in the Bible that are really difficult to read today. Moses comes, the, the, the reference I gave, Moses comes from, uh, from Horeb after uh, having been with the Lord for uh, 40 days. And uh, 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 what, did, what, what happened during his, his uh, uh, absence? The people wanted to, uh, to worship uh, a deity, and Moses is not there, no one speaking about God. So they forced Aaron to have the golden calf. The golden calf story is where, while, Moses, while Moses was uh, on the mountain. So on the mountain, Moses was with God, but the people, his people, were uh, uh, worshiping and uh, worshiping and with all kind of uh, misbehavior because the worship of that's that's something i say to my students you know it's it's very important to realize they they were worshiping and there was perversity in them in, in their worship you know it's very important this is a very important aspect in the bible that you have it in chapter 13 and 14 of the book of wisdom and that saint paul will repeat in chapter one of his uh, epistle to the Romans, you know, uh, 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 that the perversity is consequence of worshiping the wrong God. It's not only a moral thing that is, that is wrong, it is a consequence of worshiping the wrong God. You know, and so when they were worshiping uh, the golden calf, their liturgy was a little bit perverted. You know, and Moses comes, and Moses say, "Who is with me again? Who is with me and 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 for God?" And the Levite come to him, and he asked the Levite to kill all those who were uh, uh, worshippers of the golden calf, and they were Israelites. So the passage says, and the Levite went and. They killed brother, sister, father, mother, all from their own families, you know. And 3,000 uh, 3, Israelites died at that time, you know. So Moses asked them to kill people from their own family. 
a difficult passage today, you know, today to read. You know, there are passages like that that we we have difficulty to deal with. You know, you have also when Joshua uh, invaded the Holy Land, asked to kill everybody, whether it is human beings, all the ages, and whether it is animal, to kill everybody. You know, everybody from the uh, inhabitant of the. Uh, of the region. So how to deal with these violent passages? You have them. You don't have them in the New Testament, mind you. And there is a reason for that. There is theological reason for that. And uh, uh, I don't know whether we'll have time to say it. But uh, uh, the reason, the reason, uh, you know, of the violence in the Bible and the passages that are violent in the Bible, they are the most interesting passages. Why? Because they make you reflect not only on God, but on the human being also. Because basically the violence in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, you know, the, is the violence of the writer, not the violence of God. In other words, the writer colors the image of God by the elements of his time and his psychology. A very angry writer, his God is angry. A very peaceful writer, his God is peaceful. There is always this danger to confuse the envelope and the message. The envelope belongs to the human beings, and it's colored with the sentiments, with the feelings of the human being. And God is the message, and the message of salvation is the content that is continued in, the, in, the, in, the, in these envelopes in, in, in all the times. So the first thing to do in the Bible is to separate the envelope from the message. God is not violent. The writer is violent. And when the writer is violent, his God is violent. 137, the, the psalm that ends, uh, daughter of Babylon, happy daughter of, in the Bible, whether it's daughter of Zion, daughter of Babylon, daughter of Jerusalem, you know, you have that. Allah. Daughter of means community. That is a Bible Hebrew expression. Daughter of means community. So uh, daughter of Babylon, happy is the one who takes your children and smash them against the rock. It is about a man who was deported from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon, who saw the destruction of his own family before his eyes, who saw the killing of his wife, his children, and he is the only surviving one. And he went to Babylon, and in Babylon they were asking him to sing. How can you sing, you know, in these cases? And actually the psalm starts, how can I sing, you know? And he saw the destruction of his own family. And God, his God, must give him justice must give him justice. And his justice is that God does to those who did this to him the same thing, the same thing. So the man is very angry, and rightly so, because he saw the difficulty, he saw the, the, the slaughtering of all his family before his eyes, you know. And he wants God to do the same thing. He wants God to do the same thing. And that is the violence, the, the God of this man cannot be a peaceful God because this man was violent. Therefore, the, when he speaks about God, his vocabulary cannot be other than violent vocabulary. 
But this gives you one of the principles, there are four or five principles to understand the, 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 the violent passages in the Bible. One of them, the most important, and that is the violence, the violence in the Bible with very few exceptions, with very, is always a reaction, never an action. It is always to answer something that happened and that thing was violent. For example, this, this man in, in, in 137, he saw the destruction of his family and the violence is to answer the destruction of the... The violence in the Bible is never that something... You know, freely, God wants to kill for no reason. No. The Egyptian killed, God will kill. You know, the Egyptian, because they killed. So you have this kind of reaction in the, the violence, you know. And the, this is a very important principle. It is not a free, it is not something, you know, uh, that is without reason, you know. And uh, pay attention once again, it is not God, it is the human being. And there are, there are important things. For example, the passage that I spoke about, uh, uh, 32, 33 of Exodus, uh, uh, this passage about the Levite killing because of the golden calf. You know, these are passages, these are passages, it is, it, it is in general for the Old Testament, not for the new, it's in general for, all the, for the Old Testament. These are passages, they were written about events that happened centuries before. You have to pay attention to that. These events happened centuries before, and a writer came 400, 500 years later, wrote about them. So you have always to distinguish between a reporter in the Bible and a writer. What is the difference? A reporter is someone who looks to the events and reports the events. And if he is mistaken, he is dishonest because he is seeing something that he is not reporting. That is a reporter. That is not the case of the Bible writer. The Bible writer is a theologian that comes centuries later and that reflects about the events. So don't take the details of the events as historical facts. In other words, don't read literally the Bible. You know, and that's a principle. That is a principle, and thanks be to God, that's a principle that the Catholic Church always maintained, always maintained. And I always say in my classes, you know, I repeat that all the time. You know, what, what uh, Paul VI said uh, in, 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 his, in, a in one of his discourses to the uh, Bible Commission, he said, il, um, uh, uh, il, uh, you know, the literalist reading is the father of the uh, atheism. Because if you read literally, you will close the Bible. You will close the Bible. 
You cannot. You just cannot. There is two contradictions. And this contradiction becomes intolerable. Why? Because you are giving to the writer of the Bible the function of a reporter. He is not a reporter. He is reflecting theologically of, uh, on events. Now, these events have historical background. These events are not invented. They are historical events. But someone who came six centuries later writing about them, he had other reason for writing about. What is the reason that he is choosing these events of the past and writing about them? Normally is to answer a problem of his time. So he is using events of the past is to answer problem of his time. Let us go back to this idea of the Levites killing their families, their brothers, their sisters. Six centuries later, the question came by some in the, in, in, among the Israelites that our liturgy is not pure that we have elements from other nations, that there is paganism in our liturgy. So the writer, inspired by God, it's not that he is, you know, taking, you know, the decision intellectually to go to the past in order to answer. No, he was inspired by God. He took the events of Moses and he wrote about it to answer questions of his time. And the question is, the liturgy was polluted. And the writer was saying, no, the liturgy was not is not polluted. Why? Because Moses purified the liturgy by this act. And he took the acts of Levite, killing people from their own families in order to purify the liturgy of the remaining of the golden calf. So the writer, using the past and its violence in order to answer a, time, a question of his own time. You know? So if you take him literally, you will miss the, object, the objective, the, the, the reason, the, the, the goal rather, the goal of the writer. And the goal of the writer is to answer, is to answer uh, the question of his, of his time. And the question is to say, Yes, the liturgy is purified because Moses did the, and he will exaggerate where the 3,000 were killed. Were they 2,999? Were they 3,001? If, if you ask these questions, you are telling the writer is a reporter. He is not a reporter. He is not. So he exaggerates things in order to amplify his answer. And his answer is, you can come to the liturgy. It's purified. Moses did it. And he did it in a radical form. And he did it in a radical form. This is an expression of someone in the 21st century. It's an abstract. He will not say he did it in the radical form. He said, no, he killed 3,000 from their own families in order to have the liturgy purified. And that is the goal. And that is a goal that is inspired. It's not because the writer was an artist and he went, no, no, it was inspired. But what is inspired is the theological meaning. 
If you go to the details, not only you will be mistaken and you will close the Bible because these things are intolerable, you know, but you will miss the intention of the Bible and the intention of the writer at that time. And his intention is to say, please come to the liturgy because the liturgy is a proper. Moses made it proper. How? By getting rid of all these elements. And he will insist on the radicality of this by insisting on the number of the people who are killed. You know. So this is very important that you realize that history can be used by the Bible for theological reasons. You do not pay attention to the theological reason. You will stay in the literality of the text, in the details of the text, and you will judge the writer differently. The writer is a theologian who reflected on the past, and he is radical, living in a difficult time, and you see these difficulty by description, by violence, by all kinds of things. They said also that I have to answer questions. So I will answer questions. OK. Yes. Well, God does not have this aspect. The definition of God is what Jesus Christ gave us. Now, this is a priest who speaks. This is a Christian who speaks. This is a Catholic who speaks. You know, God is the Father. God is the Father. The violence is the violence belonging to the man, to the woman. When they are speaking about God, if they are peaceful, their God is peaceful. If they are violent, their God is violent. You cannot describe anything without putting in the description something of yourself. You just cannot. When you speak about God, when you have a discourse about God, you have always to answer, uh, to ask, who is the speaker? A speaker who is violent, his God is violent. So don't attribute the violence to God. Why? Because Jesus Christ gave us the definition of God. And the definition of God is Father. Is Father. He is the Father of all. You know. Jesus Christ, you know, came and he wanted to reunite the family. This is something that I insist a lot, you know, in everything I do. You know, you have the human beings created and they were with God, 
with God, the proximity with God. The, and you have the original sin, chapter 3 of Genesis. And the consequence of the original sin is that they left the proximity of God. And all the effect of the salvation is to go back to chapter 2 of Genesis before, the, before leaving God. And God is the father whose happiness is to be surrounded by his brothers and uh, by his sons and daughters, you know, so, and that is all the history of salvation. Now you have you have the Bible, and the Bible traces, with the exception of the first eleven chapters of Genesis, it traces the story of the family that will prepare the coming of the saviors. The Savior, the Savior Jesus. And that is the Israelite family. The Israelite family was one family among other families in the Middle East. And they have, that was the way at that time, that was normal at that time, they have enemies. And God was their God. The enemies of Israel became the enemies of God. Because it is their God. It is not the God of the Babylonians. It's not the God of the, of the Egyptians. It's not the God of the Canaanite. It's not the God of the Jezephite, uh, 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 Jebusite, rather. Uh, you ha- you don't, their God, the God of Israel, because Israel was struggling to survive, and by tr- struggling to survive, having wars with others, their God had enemies. And Jesus Christ came, and Jesus Christ said, Our Father, who art in heaven. This is incredibly important sentence. This is a sentence that our Father, who is not anymore in Jerusalem alone. He is now in heaven. In Jerusalem alone, he was the God of Israel. What happened with Jesus Christ, he raised all the other nations to the dignity of, uh, of Israel. He did not take away the privilege of Israel. He raises the, all the other So the God of Israel is now the God of other nations. And Jesus Christ, because he is the perfect icon That is what St. Paul said. He is the perfect image of God. What he said about God, what his behavior is the behavior of God. You know? And with Jesus Christ talking about God, with Jesus Christ behaving, you realize that God has no enemies and that all are the children of God. So all the transition between the departure from the presence of God because of the sin till the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the story of a people for us Christians who prepare the coming of the Savior. In their preparation, they had to struggle against other peoples. God being in solidarity with them, they were against other people. Their God was against. Now you have to understand that the image of God went through a lot of progress. You know, a lot. The God of Abraham was the God of only of the family of Abraham. 
Abraham had no difficulty to see that other families have their God. And after that, with Moses, the God of Israel, who is the, not the God of the Egyptians. Egyptians have their gods. And you, 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 you wait till the book, till the last book and the book of wisdom, you know, which is the last book written in the Old Testament, you know, the other gods do not exist. They started by the God of my family, other families have their God, the God of my nation, other uh, 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 nations have their gods. And with the reflection, they realized the other gods do not exist. And they realized that there is only one God. It took thousands of years to realize that. So the image of God, you know, was purified with the time. You know, so among this purification was the getting rid of the violence, and Jesus Christ and Him alone. Once again, this is a priest and Catholic who speaks a Christian. You know, Jesus Christ alone, who gives you the image perfect, and this God of Jesus Christ not only has no enemies, but all the nations, all the uh, the uh, human beings are His children. And they are those who know about it, like, like us, the baptized, and there are those who do not know about it. And, that is, and, and we go to them in order to tell them that you too are children of God. So don't pay attention to the violence of God as violence that belongs to God. Don't pay attention to the intermediary images of God. You have to study them, and that is, you know. But even there, even there, even there, I speak a lot about the uh, a prophet, you know, that I, I really cherish. That is Ezekiel. There are tenderness in the in the in the uh, image of God, even in the Old Testament. You have to you have to read uh, Ezekiel 16, for example. Uh, the tenderness of God, who is in love with a girl, and the girl is is young, and God, God is waiting for her in order to be adult, in order to marry her. You know, uh, this is a marvelous image in chapter 16. So of Ezekiel. So even there. You don't have only the violence, but the man being violent, his description of God is violence. It is not about God. It is about the man of that time. You want to have perfect image of God, you go to Jesus Christ. Yes. Sister, I will do anything you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, sister. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.